0: Well, I'm sure dads, you've said that many times. Um, I, I, I'm excited to talk about Proverbs 9. It's really, this whole wisdom is is advice of, it, it, it's this in the ancient literature of a father to a son, but it's really to all people. And we conclude this series, chapters 1 through 9. Um, but one of the things I, I had thought you would probably not find in a proverb is, and, and I, would, I would hope you wouldn't find this, but um, a proverb that says, if you... If you, um, my son or daughter, want to learn to dance, watch me dance on the dance floor. Um, that's always a, a scary thought. And then, um, I, I, I like this, and I think this is true for a lot of dads. You can tell what was the best year of a father's life because they seem to freeze that clothing style and ride it out. <laughs> and, I, and, and seriously, this is, a, I think, a, a prayer that... Uh, they might be in the hearts of many of us. A father overheard his son pray, dear God, make me the kind of man my daddy is. And after that night, and uh, later that night, the father prayed, dear God, make me the kind of man my son wants and needs. And uh, I think we as dads would all want to pray that. We are uh, celebrating Father's Day, but I do not want to uh, missed the opportunity to also mention another very historic and important day uh, that is being celebrated uh, within uh, specifically our whole nation. Uh, some people uh, are aware of Juneteenth, and you've seen it, I'm sure enough, on the news, and, and some, I think... Um, I realize some might actually think that uh, this is kind of a politically correct kind of holiday or it's a woke kind of thing, or you could have the idea that you're, you know, in announcing something like this too, that you're um, just kind of virtue signaling or something along that line. Those are kind of the things and labels you hear. But I just want to say as a church, uh, I am really excited. We, this last Saturday, were down with our church families that are in Minneapolis and with our um, black uh, church friends um, helping them and next week uh, Rob and and Lisa Compton who have done much to encourage our relationships with that they celebrated Juneteenth, Juneteenth yesterday and um, I, I know it's a, a federal holiday uh, but I wanted just to remind us that what's important about this is that all people count and that slavery is evil it's a reminder that um, that um, progress, spiritual and societal, takes time. It also reminds me that God's invitation to freedom from sin has been proclaimed, but is still becoming a reality as we spread the good news. Because in this celebration of Juneteenth, the reason it was that was because two years before that, the emancip- Emancipation of Proclamation was declared. And then two years later, the last two slaves in Texas we're set free. And it reminds me that I uh, want to celebrate everyone's freedom in that sense as we look at um, this holiday. And so I just wanted to mention that and say that um, as well as Father's Day, we celebrate with those who are celebrating in this way as well. I um, want you to notice as we get out of Proverbs 9 and we come to this chapter It changes directions at chapter 10 of Proverbs. It is a list of all the things that you can learn about wisdom and foolishness. It's written not in a proverbial kind of statement. It's written more like a book given and handed to someone. Believed to be Solomon. And so we come to this point after eight chapters. The ninth chapter in many ways is a summation, an invitation. To either choose to be wise or choose to be a fool. And Jesus does a remarkable job. He has just preached his long sermon on the mount, shared his sense of what wisdom is to walk with before God, and calls people to make a choice. And at the very end, he gives this little story that I think sums up chapters 1 through 9, which shows you that Jesus was a person who really understood the Old Testament. Because this summation of a story that he gives... Is very much the summation of what we've been reading over these number of weeks as we've been in the series Get Wise. In Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27, he says, therefore everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. The rains come down, the streams rise, the winds blow, but the house stands. It doesn't fall. The foundation is on a rock. It's secure. But now, in contrast, he says, the same way he does here in chapter 9, there's this contrast going on. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is foolish. Like the foolish person who builds their house on sand. Rains come down, streams rise, floods, and winds blow, and it falls with a great crash. And he kind of ends his long sermon that way, similar to chapter 9 ending here. So what I'm going to ask us to do is stand together as we look at this passage of Scripture, which is basically an invitation, and we're going to read these 18 verses. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved it seven columns. In the Hebrew, it's seven pillars is what it talks about. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines, and set the table. Literally, made meat, prepared meat, and wine is what it says. And she has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights, overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come and eat my food. And drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked Will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. I want you to look at this slide for a second. There is a, what they call a chiastic approach to it where he talks about mockers and and, and, and then he goes on, he talks about the wicked and then he makes this statement of um, you love or you hate, and then talks about wisdom and how people respond. We'll look at that and just talk about it in a very practical way in a moment. And so as this slide goes, as we go on in this chapter, fear the Lord, for fear of the Lord it's the foundation of wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One results in a good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life, if you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. The woman named Folly is brash, she's loud, she's ignorant and doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city and she calls out to the people going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple to those who lack judgment. She says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. And I pray that you would allow for us to um, understand you and how much you love us. That you as a father call us to wisdom and give us wisdom freely. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you look at these verses and, and, you, and we go through them, a, a number of verses, there's just some contrasts and differences that I want you to note as we go through it. And so as we look at Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and then if you go a little bit later in verse 13 and then to 16 and 17, they're almost kind of parallel each other. They're, they're two things. They're, they're doing the same thing, one at the beginning about wisdom and one at the end about folly with this inner verse, these verses in the, in the middle. And, and it says in verse one, wisdom has built her house, she has carved its seven columns, its pillars. It's this idea that what Jesus has said, the wise man builds his house on a very strong foundation. And on that foundation, that home, your life is secure. It's this sense that when trouble comes, it will stand. You will find that this relationship that is built in wisdom on God Will 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 give you strength and security. But as you go on, he says in 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 the second verse, she has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. What I think is interesting about just this idea of preparation and planning and work, um, it, it requires discipline. There's meat which is substance. There's drink, which refers to life and joy. This is all the characteristics of someone who is involved with wisdom. If you look at verses 13, 16 through 17, verse 13 says, the wisdom, the woman, folly is brash. She's loud. She's undisciplined and without knowledge. In a sense, almost shameless. And, and, and the idea is that she calls to get your attention and she requires no acquisition to get knowledge. There's no work. There's no preparation. There's no planning. Everything is easy, and at that least that's her promise. In fact, it's better to get, to not even have to, to work for what you eat. Just steal it, it's better. Those kind of things that come easy are the way to really live. And as I was reading through this, for me, as I looked at this part of this passage, it just occurred to me this very simple truth that I think what the author is trying to make in this contrast is this truth that we all want easy. We all want instant. We want five quick tips or or five steps to weight loss or to breaking bad habits or to being a better parent or building a successful business. We're always looking for what's easy, what's not is difficult. What doesn't require sacrifice. As he goes on in verses 3 through 6 and verses 14 through 17, again, these two contrasts, there's this contrast where wisdom sends out and calls and, and is shouting and, and, and sending out people who are wise to find those. And then you have the other contrast of the woman who's folly. She sits and she's on a seat. They're both at the high points of the city, so they're both in the same places. But there's this difference. And I, and, and in, as I looked at this, commentators didn't really give much of an idea around this, but as I just studied and prayed about it a bit more, there were two words that seemed to stand out that is different between the two and the the way they call. And the one is this. Wisdom sends and leaves. She sends out her servants, leave your simple ways, which is, is the call that requires something to do, where folly sits and calls to those who pass by. Polly sits at the door of her house. Let all who are simple come here. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. And so here's that basic difference. Wisdom has to search for people who want to be wise because the message of discipline and sacrifice and effort, which does not happen immediately, but takes place through decision upon decision upon decision, isn't that exciting and tempting. And so you see this wisdom sending out, finding, looking for people and the word simple is important it's the idea naive there's three words in this Proverbs and in proverbs that they use often they talk about simple naive they talk about the mocker and then they talk about the one who scorns there's like a process of moving from this to then being a mocker to one who's scorning and, and the word fool kind of can cover all those words it's, it's almost as if um, it's saying like this if you want godly character let's just use godly character and its wisdom would be calling out and sending out saying if you work hard and every day spend time with God commit to regularly meet with people and read God's word vulnerably share about your life with one another commit to being a part of a church community bring your kids and have them involved over time those choices will yield fruit and wisdom and character it's the words of Jesus when he says take up your cross it involves a cost he says count your cost before you decide to follow me or to follow wisdom. And that's kind of the call there. The appeal of folly is just merely this. All all folly has to appeal to is our pride and our desires. It's pretty simple to respond to that. So folly doesn't have to go out and search for anybody. Folly just sits and on that seat just calls out to those who are passing by and who are close. Now here's the difference that I think is, in, is kind of the crucial difference when you come to this passage of scripture where he's talking about wisdom leads to security and folly will lead to insecurity. The house built on wisdom, the life built on wisdom, when trouble comes, when, when difficulty comes, will stand. The one not will fall. The other idea here is that wisdom is the one that takes preparation, takes works, takes discipline. It's a choice. And God searches out, wisdom searches out, looking for people who want to make that choice. Where folly, on the other hand, it's easy, it's simple, it doesn't take much, you can just fall into that. Now here's the crucial difference when you come to this part of the passage of Scripture. He kind of lays out how you can see and understand someone who is choosing folly and someone who is choosing wisdom. He's driving this wisdom and then he ends with folly, but in the middle he gives the characteristics of that person who seeks to choose what it means to be godly. He says, here's the difference. Wisdom listens and grows. Folly defends and fights. And as I said, there's a chiasm, which chiasm just means that it moves like this and then moves back like this. It's kind of this word X. And so what happens, it says, correct a mocker and you'll receive insult. Rebuke the wicked and you'll get abuse." So there's this movement of character from mocker to evil wicked, that's that scorner. And then it says, that one will hate you. And now it turns it and starts moving the other direction. So it's moving down like this, now moving this way. Wisdom will love you. The person who is, you're seeing them grow in wisdom. If you want to kind of do an analysis and an examination of yourself, uh, if you if you look at how you respond, it will tell you which direction you're moving. Are you moving in this area more to be, being like a fool? Are you moving towards wisdom? It says that there's a hatred for any kind of correction. There's a love for any kind of correction. So the last two parts, it says wisdom, the wise, grows wiser. And it teaches the wise. And f- with that comes Learning. So in verses 7 through 9 is that kind of picture. You are either growing, seeking to understand, opening your mind and aligning yourself to God's reality. Or you're becoming stagnant, closing your mind to God's word and claiming to know it all. i on my own. I don't really need his wisdom. Now here's the differences between wisdom that listens and grows and the fool who what I call defends and fights. Those are the two different directions. Wisdom listens and grows and the fool defends and fights. One moves to an openness and understanding of God's reality and applies it. One moves to a place of a closed mind to God's truth and reality and says, I can do this, I know, on my own. And so when you look at this, you have to look at these differences between the two. First, what happens when this person who is wise or a fool is corrected? What happens when you come to someone and you say, I need to talk to you. We need to sit down. We need to talk about something that you're doing, some behavior. According to this the wise person loves you because they want to grow when you shine the light of correction on something They're doing They look at it and adjust themselves in their behavior To the light that is being shined and in their heart they're going I want to see this because this is making me a better person I, I want to be wise now Proverbs 10.8 says, correct the wise person and they will love you for it. And the bottom line for the wise person, when you you are coming and moving into a place where you're going to correct or rebuke, you're going to somehow help them see some behavior that is creating some difficulty in a work situation. It can be a child in a family situation. It it can be a, a, a person on a team that you're playing with. When you move into that, here's the bottom line. Here's the difference. They will own it. Okay. There's a sense that, and that's a good question to ask yourself: is when someone comes to me, do I own it, and what does that look like? And we'll look at that more. But the fool, here's what the fool does: when the light of correction comes, they immediately move to um, deflecting it and denying it. So when the light of correction comes, what will happen is they're not adjusting themselves to the light. In what it, When you think about it, if you're managing or you're a father or a mother and you're parenting or you're a teacher or a coach or whatever, it, it tells you that. In Proverbs 12, 15, it states this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes or seems right to them. And, and when you correct them, they deflect it, deny it. And, and here's the common things that they will do. One of the first things they'll do is if the light, you know, they're going to move the light, they have to externalize it. They they put it outside. It's not about them. It's out here. It's outside them. So one of the first things they'll do is externalize it. And then another thing they'll do is they'll minimize it. That's another kind of approach to it when they come. They externalize it or they may minimize it and go, you know what, it's not really as bad as you think. It's not that big of a problem. Or they might blame, which is a, a tool of deflection. Yeah, light. Yeah, it's the light. It's not. It's you know, it's the wrong color light. You got to blame it on the guy, you know. Or, or, or the fourth way is they project the problem onto someone or something else. Those are just common responses of the wise person who, when they have the light, they let it kind of um, point out, and they own whatever the truth might be, where the other one takes it and adjusts the lights, externalizes it, blames, and and will project it onto someone else, and will it will minimize, say, well, yeah, was sure, not that bad. And so here's the behavior to watch for. When you begin to see that and you kind of point the light on, here's the behavior you need to watch for when you confront this person. Again, we're talking about a person who wants wisdom, who wants to build security in their life and wants to um, be in that place versus the fool who doesn't want that and they want the easy way and it doesn't matter because they want what is now. Stolen food and water is better now. Let's get that. So here's the behavior that is often seen. And they have some standard tools in which they respond to this. The wise person will use discernment. I think it's really important. The light hits and and the wise person doesn't reject your correction and understand the feedback. But here's something, too. They use discernment. They don't just let it all come in. I've said this often throughout my years in ministry here. One of the best things you can do, we teach this in marriage classes as well, is when, when you're listening to someone and they're giving you their understanding and maybe their correction or whatever it would be is just hold it here don't let it sink into your heart immediately because more than likely you're going to defend or you're going to feel shame or you're going to want to move away from the light What you want to do is take that, hold it here, and I encourage people. It's one of the reasons why I love having a quiet time every morning. I like to go, and people kid me for, I have some of these younger guys that I have been mentoring, they kid me for journaling, but one of the reasons I do it is because I want to look at it and go, what in here, God, is true about this? Because I'm more concerned about being the person you've called me to be, because the goal of any person who follows Jesus is to become like Jesus. None of us do it overnight. It takes a a desiring, humble spirit to do that. And so you get this person who's wise, able to use discernment. On the other hand, the fool defends. And there's these defensive roles that a fool will go to. I found myself doing it through the years. This has been an area for me of learning how not to defend but to really listen with humility and allow God to speak with wisdom to um, whatever area of involvement I might be in relationship, whether it be a pastor of a church or a board or other different things that I've been involved in. What a, a common defensive role is that they often will see you as a persecutor. And the common thoughts that they say to you or they may say to someone else is, um, you just don't understand. I mean, these are the kind of things that come off right away. I mean, they feel persecuted, like, I'm trying, why are you persecuting me to try and make me do, um, or, or they'll say, you've never really liked me anyway, have you? Or, I could never measure up to what you expect. Those are common responses that I that, that are defensive in nature. Or, or they become what I would, would say is the victim. And their typical thoughts and responses is that everybody else gets away with their mistakes and not me. You ever hear that kind of talk? You know, she never notices me or he doesn't give me recognition. I, you know, poor me. I couldn't help it if they, here's a big one. If they only knew the pressure I was under. I'm not denying the pressure, but it becomes kind of a mantra, and not only that, then they'll move to from what I can be the person persecutor to a victim, and here's another kind of sideways thing that happens, and I see it all the time in the church. People are upset. They feel like they're not getting what they want, and then what they do is they look for Sympathizers. They just love to find someone and talk to them and say, they'll look for someone who's just side with them and say, yeah, don't, yeah, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. And those are all things that start to show up. They show up, it can happen in families and can happen in business dynamics. It can happen in sports teams. You can see the wisdom of the of, in, in the fool and all those things. Uh, there's another thing you need to look for, and that's what emotion is going on. For the wise person, there's usually a sense of remorse. And after some remorse, they move to joy and gratefulness. But the fool, on the other hand, will move to self-pity and anxiety or anger. The wise person who moves to remorse is usually after they've looked at it and they've corrected how they may have hurt someone. They're more concerned about the pain or the hurt that they've caused someone than they are about themselves. The fool, on the other hand, is much more concerned. Not about, you know, they're good at call, calling another person saying, you know, they did all the pain. But when they're confronted and they have to be corrected, one of the very first things they will do is become angry or anxious And in that situation, um, instead of owning it and and taking it in and, and, and rightfully going, man, it's not about me hiding or defending. It's about what did I do that caused pain in that person and what needs to change in me. And as you look at this passage of scripture, as he comes to this end, and he's he's pointing out the differences between the two, he now, if you think about it, and as you go through other passages in Proverbs, if you were to kind of distill this in all these, which I'm seeking to do, is the wise person, you kind of ask yourself, what do you do with that person who is wise, and what do you do with the person who's responding to you as a fool? Okay, some of you who are really good managers know this and get it. Because knowledge is one piece, wisdom is another piece of it. Knowledge is, it gives you, you have knowledge and you know something, now wisdom is about how do you apply it. So for instance, if I were to give you an example, um, how many of you would say a tomato is a fruit or a vegetable? What do you, what do you, give me some answers here. Fruit, oh you guys are good Yeah, it's Scientifically it's defined as a fruit Because it actually has um, flowers that blossom into a fruit that have seeds That's the scientific definition of it We That's knowledge, we know that Now wisdom would say what? Treat it like a vegetable How many put tomatoes in their fruit salad? Right? You, know, you may do it to me because it's some kooky new thing But let's face it you really, wisdom says you, you put it and you deal with it according to what you know. So as we've kind of outlined these different responses of the wise and the fool person that is found here in, in chapter 9, in, in this idea of one loving and one hating a correction and, and, and how they respond to it, here's how you respond to them, with wisdom. So the wise person, you resource. You should resource. The difficulty often in these kind of situations, you're parenting or you're, you're, you're um, on a sports team or you're in an office, what you actually do is the old proverb, the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the what? Yeah, they get the oil. They get the resources. And, and what you end up doing so often is you give so much time and attention and energy to the difficulties that you don't necessarily Resource with time, attention, money, or the different things that that person needs in order for them to excel and continue to grow. Because right there you have a person who's willing to own it, who's willing to grow, who's going to move into a place where he himself is not only secure, but actually creates security around others. Anybody, does this make sense anybody? Here's, here's the, here's the thing you do for a fool. You set consequences. You set consequences. I got some of this from Henry think This is really good. He says the problem is this. If you are a wise person or a manager or a parent and you think that that person is like you and that merely a good talk will set the course right, what you do is you sit them down to have a meeting. You try and talk and reason with them. And you may even excuse your behavior. You may even help them do things like um, uh, minimizing the problem. Like, yeah, I know it's not a big of a deal. Or you might even go, yeah, yeah, I'm not giving you as much attention. You might you might actually feed into where they're heading. But he says this. It's okay. Your first talk, it's fine. Second talk. He says, after about the third talk, you have to decide to stop talking about talking because you know it doesn't do anything. Anybody been there before? Anybody there right now? The parents version of this, as I was thinking about, is you merely get louder and louder and louder until you're yelling, hoping that the volume and growing anger will intimidate and frighten the child to do something. When what you merely need to do, according to the Word of God, is set consequences. At some point, you have to talk about the failed talking. You actually sit down and go, you know, To your son or daughter, you know, we've talked about this now two or three times. Now, at this point, if this should occur again, here's what I'm going to do. And whatever that consequence would be in line with what's happening. Or you do the same with an employee. You sit down with an employee after, you know, two, three times you keep talking, you keep thinking, and you've, you've actually helped them minimize and externalize and all these things. And eventually you just sit down and you go, okay, here's what we need to do if this X, Y, and Z occur, this is what the consequence will be. And then you have to hold to that consequence. The consequences may wake them up, and as Proverbs says, in numbers of places, the consequences may actually save their soul. Talking hasn't helped. What they need is intentional and clear boundaries, or some of you in business may need smart Objectives that they're held accountable to, and an important point when you do this too is you need to understand that you are you are not judging the person you are coming to them to speak about their behavior. That's really important because whenever you start moving and they have any senses about the person, they're gonna move to shame. But what you got to do is remove it and say it's not the person, it's behavior. Here's how you deal with the fool, the person who's every one of us enter this world. In a simple, naive way. And over time, in areas of our life, are making choices. And we're becoming wiser or we're becoming more a fool. It may be in specific areas. It may be in a general way. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus says, and here's where he says you need to look at the behavior. You will, This is interesting. He's talking to all these people. And there's Pharisees and there's others there. And you kind of want to get down on them as a person. But he says this to the people right before he talks about the wise and the fool. That very last story, the story before that one is this. You will know a tree by its fruit. By their fruit slash behavior, you will recognize them. And Jesus is basically saying here, quit listening to their word and start watching their behavior. And you have to remember that when someone isn't owning their issues... When I'm in my home, in our family, and I'm not owning my issues, the issue begins to become owned by other people, right? When you are in a work situation, what happens is when that person isn't owning their issue, usually the company, the coworkers, are the ones who suffer the consequences. When they should be suffering intentionally clear boundaries and consequences. Consequences throughout Proverbs are God's means of bringing change. Sometimes consequences will not only bring about a behavior change, you may actually begin to see character change. Now what I want to share with you these last two things is, in, in, is this: that wisdom brings life and reward. Folly brings death and misery. Here's where it leads to. I love one commentator. It's in one of my old commentary, commentaries that I picked up this week in my library, and I read it, and it says, "The reasons verses seven through 12 are where they are, is to show and correct the impression that a person is saved or merely uh, or, or lost merely through an isolated, impulsive decision. There is an initial decision. There's an initial decision when we accept Christ. But Jesus didn't say, accept me. He said, follow me. So the life that is open and accepting continues to follow in obedience. The choice is seen as a ripening of character through repeated choices until one becomes wise or foolish. That's what chapters 1 through 9 are all about. That's what chapters 9, seven, verse 7 is about. A simple and naive person moves from being simple and naive to becoming a fool, a mocker, and eventually a wicked or evil person in character. That's what this chapter is saying. And basically, over a lifetime of choices, that person's character is formed, and the evil they choose is the evil they become. Tim Keller writes this. Hell and heaven are essentially our freely chosen identities going on forever. In other words, Christianity believes that people have a soul that lives forever, and therefore a process that begins in our soul now can go on forever. And he writes this, hell is a provision for who we choose to be. And you are like, well, what is that in the Bible? You can read in the Bible that hell was prepared for the fallen angels, for the angel that says the fallen angels. It wasn't prepared for people. But people, it's just a natural extension of the way we live. People will get out of this life and after this life, the person they become now. C.S. Lewis writes it this way. Christianity asserts that every person will live forever. Now there are many a good many things not worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years. But which I better bother about if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or jealousy are actually getting worse. So Gradually, and it's happening so gradually that the increase in 70 years would, would not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, hell is precisely the correct term for what it will be. It's not merely a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there's something growing up which will itself be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. The matter is serious. Let us put ourselves in His hands at once, this very day, this hour. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. As they do, I'm going to share with you the, the, the what I call the hinge verse in all of Scripture. It's the hinge verse of chapter nine. It's the hinge verse of chapters one through nine. It is that verse that we read about, um, verse ten. The knowledge of God is, you know, fear is the knowledge of God it brings the wisdom of God the fear of God the reverence of God the respect of God it begins in chapter 1 verse 7 as the starting verse it ends here in chapter 9 verse 10 and it makes this important point and it's what I've been saying throughout this whole series wisdom involves an interactive relationship with God folly doesn't it means at a certain point right, we've talked about this before you know best Um, what you interact with. It means at a certain point in your life, you recognize your need of God. You recognize that your sin, which can be in all different foolish ways, will get you in trouble, not just for the next 70 years, but for eternity. But an interactive relationship with God is one that says, I want to get to know you, God. And as you open your heart and you acknowledge your need of him and you acknowledge the fact that the most important decision you will make today or you have made maybe years ago is the decision you continue to make every day and that's to get to know God and to walk with him and to live with him so i'm going to ask you to stand and we're just going to sing this song in a moment but father as we sing this and we sing it um, in a reflective way that god you would give us wisdom that our hearts would be open and desirous to grow, that we would love correction. And God, if there's areas that you have been seeking to correct us and we haven't been open to it, you are such a loving and gracious Father. You have promised you would give wisdom. You would put the light back on us and help us, God, as a people, as we follow you, as we walk with you. To continually build our life on you so that God, you can remove the things that are displeasing to you and create all kinds of trouble in us. Thank you, Lord, that we can build our life on you. That Father, you are a God who sees us right where we're at right now, and you're not condemning. You didn't send Jesus to condemn, you sent Jesus to point out what needs to be pointed out and you are looking at the behavior. You have treated us as sons and daughters. We've opened our hearts to you and you want us to become queens and kings to walk with you in wisdom. In Christ's name.